parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Ooh. Yeah, it works. Uh, we've seen the, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, which taught us that religion won't get you into heaven. We, taught, we saw the story of the rich young ruler, which showed that enthusiasm and trying to do the right thing won't get you into heaven. And it ended up with a situation where the disciples came to Jesus and they said, who then can be saved? If religion won't do it, if keeping the law won't do it, if being enthusiastic and well-meaning won't do it, if trying to do the right thing won't do it, what will? And in this passage, we have where Jesus actually begins to explain what will get a person into heaven. What will get a person saved? And then after this, and the next two times that I preach, we'll have two examples of how that worked out in people's lives. So we're looking at Luke chapter 18, commencing at verse 31. Before we go any further, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for what it teaches. We pray now that you might... Open our hearts and minds. Instruct us, we ask. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Let's just, just stop there for a minute. We go up to Jerusalem. You ever thought about that? Did you know you always go up to Jerusalem? It's, it's really interesting. Uh, you, look, you look back in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, a few months ago, a few years ago probably by now, a few months ago, Luke chapter 10 verse 30, took the, the story of the, the Good Samaritan, and it said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You ever notice that? But if you go from Jerusalem, you're going down. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. Uh, even in, in, still in Luke, back in, in Luke chapter 2, when uh, the Lord's family went up to Jerusalem, you have a look in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. They went up to Jerusalem. You ever wonder why you always go up to Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem is high, I'll grant you that, but it's not the highest point in Palestine. It's not. There are other points there, but you're always going up to Jerusalem. Um, you know that, those, those little psalms? You like the psalms from... Uh, about 120 onwards. They're little short psalms, about six, seven verses long, each one of them. They are called the Psalms of Ascent. They were the psalms that were sung or chanted as pilgrims went up to Jerusalem. And they were called the Songs of Going Up, the Psalms of Ascent. Because you went up to Jerusalem. You know why you go up to Jerusalem? 
Well, I'll, I'll illustrate it like this. I work with trains. Okay? Do you know there are trains that go up and trains that go down? Yeah? Did you know? Trains go up and trains go down. What marks an up train and what marks a down train? Well, it's really simple. An up train goes to Flinders Street. A down train goes away from Flinders Street. doesn't matter what slope it is. Towards the centre, towards the head, towards the most important place is always marked as up. All right? Victoria Railways understand that. So do the writers of scripture. When you're going to the centre, when you're going to the head, when you're going to the most important place, you're going up. And so you always, always go up to Jerusalem. From no matter how, what height you are, when you're heading to Jerusalem, you're going up. See, it's not geographical. You go up to Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. And incidentally, that king is not David. For in Psalm 48 verses 1 and 2 it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. But in verse 1 of that psalm, it's called the city of our God. And it's called the city of the great king. Therefore, the great God and the king must be the same person. It is the city of God, it is the city of the great king. And therefore, no matter where you are, you are going up as you go to Jerusalem. So he said unto the, unto the twelve, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. All the things that the prophets wrote about the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Now I have a feeling that the first, their first initial reaction when they heard this was, good. Because they were thinking, things written by the prophets about the Son of Man... Uh, fire coming down from heaven, destroying his enemies, setting up his kingdom, ruling forever. And hey, we're going up to Jerusalem. That's the place where it's all at. That's the place it's all going to happen. We're going to set up the kingdom. We're going to kick out these Romans. And now it's time. Because we're going up to Jerusalem. And all those prophecies are going to come true. Then he begins to explain these, all these things. All things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. He shall be delivered to the Gentiles, mocked, spitefully entreated, spat upon. They shall scourge him, put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. This wasn't what they'd signed up for. They'd signed up for glory. They'd signed up for a kingdom. They'd signed up for the deliverance of Israel. And here he is saying, all these things shall come to pass, delivered, mocked, spitten, beaten, crucified, murdered. They're going, what? Are these the, all these things? 
Are these the things that the prophets have spoken of the Son of Man? Are these all these things that, that are going to come to pass? And they did not understand it. They could not understand why their master should let it happen. And they couldn't understand why it should happen. They couldn't understand why God would let these things happen. Let's look at some of all these things. There are about 300 prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament. 300. We're going to take a quick look at 10. Just 10. 10 prophecies. Because they relate to this, these, prof, these things that are happening here. One, that he would be betrayed by a friend. In Psalm 41, it says that my friend, the one whom I shared bread with, has lifted up his heel against me. But in Matthew 26... When, when Judas comes to betray Jesus, in verse 48 and 50, Jesus greets him with the words, friend, fulfilling that exact prophecy that his friend would betray him. That he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. This is in Zechariah eleven twelve, where it says, weigh me, give me my price, 30 pieces of silver. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 15, we read that Judas went to the, to the chief priest and agreed to betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. That he was silent when he was accused. Isaiah 52, 53, verse 7 says that like a sheep before, before the shearers is dumb. That's interesting, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with animals. And it is one of the remarkable things about a shearing shed, how quiet the animals are. They don't, they don't say anything. In a shearing shed, the noise comes from all the people, it doesn't come from the animals. Because as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. In Matthew 26, 50, 63, we find that when coming before Herod and coming before Pilate, Jesus said nothing. Nothing in his own defence. He could have said, no, it's, it's not true. I, I have no plans to, to set up my, a kingdom here on earth. He could have defended himself. He could have proved it. And yet he said nothing. <coughs> that he would be slapped and spat upon in Isaiah 50 verse 6. Fulfilled, if you look it up in Mark chapter 14, verse 65. That his hands and feet would be pierced. That's prophesied in Psalm 22, verse 16. That says, they pierced my hands and feet. Now it's recorded that he was crucified in Matthew 27. The interesting thing is, when Psalm 22 was written, crucifixion hadn't been invented No one, no one crucified people when Psalm 22 was written. So how did the writer know 
that someone's hands and feet would be pierced. That he would be mocked and insulted. In, in Psalm 22 verse 7 and 8 it's recorded how he would be mocked and insulted. And fulfilled Matthew 27 verse 39 to 40. That his clothing would be gambled for. Psalm 22 verse 18 says, They parted my vesture among them and cast lots. They gambled. It's recorded, that's fulfilled in Mark 15 verse 24. How about that no bones of his would be broken when he died? Psalm 24 Psalm 34, 20, fulfilled in John 19, 22. How about that when he died, he would be with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich? Now that's an unusual wonder to think about. Usually if a person dies with the wicked, he's buried with the wicked. Usually if a person is buried with the rich, he dies with the rich. But no, it was prophesied... In Psalm, in sorry, prophesied in Isaiah fifty-three verse nine, that he would die with the wicked, yet be buried with the rich. Fulfilled in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven to sixty, where Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, comes and begs his body from Pilate and buries him in his own prepared wealthy tomb in a rich area of the cemetery. A resurrection prophesied in Psalm 16 verse 10 where it says, Thou wilt not suffer thy holy one to see decay. And it came to pass in Matthew 28 verse 6. It's interesting that the Jews believed that the body did not really start to be irrevocably decayed until after the third day. That's why they were concerned about the resurrection of Lazarus because he had been dead four days. To a Jew, the body was not really decaying till after three days. So he was resurrected on the third day before, according to their tradition, he had seen decay. Now, how do you get, never mind the other 290-odd, how do you get these 10 prophecies all to be happening of Jesus Christ all the things concerning the son of man that shall be accomplished well did Jesus do it deliberately there was a book called the Passover plot and its basic theme was Jesus was starting a new a new religion he figured he needed a, a good line a, 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 a good hook to hang it with, his own martyrdom would be really good for that. So he deliberately manoeuvred for all these things to happen. Now, like all good lies, there's a, there's a touch of truth in that. When the, when the Romans saw someone as a threat, they executed them. And if you weren't a Roman citizen, they crucified you. It wasn't too hard to spot what was happening here. That if Jesus continued on his path, 
he would fall foul of the authorities and there would be a fairly good chance he would be crucified. But what about all the others? Do you think he could organise with the Romans who were crucifying him? Oh, fellas, remember, don't break any bones. You might be able to do that in the World Wrestling Federation, but you can't do that when you're being crucified. How about, don't forget to gamble for my clothing. Or, or, or uh, make sure I'm buried with a rich guy. You know, most, uh, a, lot, a lot of times the, the people who were crucified weren't buried. They were left up there till the bones fell down. As a reminder to people. In fact, some people say that, that the, the term Golgotha, the place of the skull, literally means the place of the skulls because the, body, the bones of the dead were left there as a reminder to people, don't mess with us. So even to arrange for him to be buried, with, he couldn't have done that, let alone to be buried by a rich man. No, he couldn't rig this. He couldn't arrange it beforehand. It's simply just not possible. So did it happen just by chance? Just a fluke that all these things happened? What's the odds? Okay, what's the odds? A fellow named Pete Stoner did the calculations. Okay, he said the odds on fulfilling Eight of these prophecies is 1 by 10 to the 17th. That is 1 by 10 followed by 17 zeros. I'll, 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 I'll illustrate what that sort of means. Okay, what sort of numbers we're talking about? It's a dollar coin. Okay? Take a dollar coin and paint it black. Then get one by ten to the seventeen dollar coins, unpainted. Dump them in the middle of Victoria. Incidentally, that will cover Victoria to a depth of about half a metre of dollar coins. Put your black one in there. Take off in a plane from Queensland. Fly over Victoria jump out with a parachute, land somewhere in Victoria, reach down, and the first dollar coin you pick up is the black one. What's the odds? Well, that's the odds of one man by chance fulfilling eight of these prophecies. Jesus didn't fulfill eight. He didn't fulfill 48. He fulfilled all 300. What's the odd? You need more faith to believe in chance. You need more faith to believe in plots. You need more faith to believe in conspiracies than you do to believe that these were prophesied by the hand of God. But the problem was, they didn't understand. They looked at these prophecies, 
They looked at the things that were written of the Son of Man that He would be beaten, whipped, delivered, betrayed, spat on, crucified, murdered. And they just did not understand. They did not understand how God could let this happen. How could Jesus let it happen to himself? Look over in Luke chapter 24. A few chapters on. And yes, we will eventually get to Luke 24, Lord willing. Luke 24, the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. These disciples are walking from Jerusalem down, of course, to Emmaus. And they are met on the road by the resurrected Lord. And they talk to him about what's happened. Verse 20, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he who should have redeemed Israel. And besides this, this today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. When they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were, were, were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even as the women had said, but they saw him not. Now, notice what Jesus says here. Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. For these things which they were talking about were all that the prophets have spoken. He said, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in, this, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Ought not Christ to have suffered? These things ought to have happened. These things needed to have happened. In fact, over in Acts, Acts chapter 17, when Paul is preaching, Acts chapter 17, Starting at verse 1, and when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Open, look at opening and alleging that Christ needs have suffered, must need have suffered. That there was, this was not just predicted, 
This was not just foreordained, but this was absolutely necessary. It's interesting, he, he, the, the word there that he says, opening and alleging, is, is a, a legal term that they use in, in trials, in, in a Greek term for in trials, saying to set out in a logical, reasoned pattern. It's the way you would lay out evidence in a trial. That's the way he did it. He laid it out like a lawyer, proving that the Christ must have suffered. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it because, number one, their hearts were, were broken by the thought that their master, whom they'd be with for three years, and whom they loved dearly, would have these things happen to him. They just could not understand that. They couldn't understand why this would happen. How could God let it happen? They could not see that it needs must happen. Now, some of you are familiar with a man named Richard Dawkins. Now, Richard Dawkins is a very intelligent man. He's a very wrong man, but he's very intelligent. And occasionally he says some things which are absolutely quite profound in a mishandled sort of way. And Dawkins said that he believes that if God exists, he's dumb. Now, oh, that was an intriguing comment. Because he said, there must be some other way to, have, to achieve God's objectives without having his son die. That God, if he was as smart as he was, could have thought up some other way to do it. That's actually a fairly profound thought. You see, there was another way. There was a way to avoid having all this happen. There was a way to avoid being betrayed and beaten and spat upon and crucified. There was a way. All it required to do was to leave you and I on a road to hell with no hope and no chance. So there was a way that Jesus could have avoided all this. He could have simply abandoned us to our righteous faith, doomed forever. That was the way to avoid it. But Jesus had set his face, it says, like a flint to go up to Jerusalem, to face all these things to pay for humanity's sin. To be betrayed, to be delivered, to be spitefully used and to die for sinners. Like the, the drums in those old jungle movies. You know at the start of the movie the, the drums are real quiet just in the background and as the movie goes on the drums get louder and louder and louder. You know, boom, 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 boom. Doom, 
doom, doom. It's coming louder and louder and louder as he gets closer to Jerusalem. This drama started in some ways back before the world was even created, but it really got moving 33 years ago when he was born. Then it, it raised its tempo three years ago when he started his, his, his ministry. The shadow of the cross is hanging over him closer and closer and closer. Every day, the weight of the sin and the knowledge of what is going to happen gets heavier and heavier. It's getting worse and worse with every footstep he takes towards Jerusalem and the twelve just can't see it. The psychological weight that was bearing down on Christ must have been unbelievably difficult. The pressure that was on him at this time, knowing that he was deliberately going up to his death. People who talk to those who are on death row, they say that some of them begin to welcome the execution. You know why? Because the pressure of waiting, knowing any day, you could be, you could, it could be the day they come. The psychological pressure of that is so enormous. There have been cases recorded where people deliberately attempted to escape from prison knowing they had no chance and walked into the line of fire of the guards to stop the waiting. Jesus had been waiting for 33 years for this execution. He had been preparing for it for three years. And now it was happening that he was walking up to Jerusalem to deliberately face the death that was coming towards him. And the disciples just couldn't see it. You ever, you ever had that people say that to you? I just can't see it. I just can't understand it. I want to tell you, don't be upset with people if they just can't see it. Because the disciples just couldn't see it. They just couldn't understand it. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Sometimes, you know, we miss that little point. That the faith to believe is a gift from God. Otherwise, you just can't 
see it. Same thing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. And it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Look, I, I am never surprised. Never surprised when the, when people who are not born again say, I just can't see it. I just can't understand it. I just don't know what this is all about. Why? Because they just can't see it. It is like trying to describe colours to a blind man. Someone who's blind says, well, what does purple look like? Well, purple is sort of like blue and it's a bit like red. Yeah, that explains a lot to a blind person, doesn't it? To try and explain spiritual things to a person who has not received the Spirit of God, who has not had their eyes opened by the faith that God gives them, well, they just can't see it. And we shouldn't really be surprised and we shouldn't really, you know... Don't get upset with them because they just can't see it. Is that the situation for you today? Are you listening to what I've said? You've heard about the prophecies. You understand that these things didn't happen by accident. You understand that these things could not have been planned, but you just can't see it. It's just not all there. You're like looking through a fog. You're like trying to wade through cotton wool. It, it's, it's just out of reach for you. Then ask God for the faith to believe. Ask him for it. Ask him to give you the faith to believe, to understand and to see these things. For the first time. I believe that the first decision, I believe that the, the decision to accept Christ as Saviour is the first time a person actually makes an honest, open decision. Because up until the time they are given the faith by God, they just can't decide because they just can't see it. There was no alternative for our Lord but to go up to Jerusalem if he was going to save our sins, save us from our sins. There was no alternative but for him to continue on that path. There was no alternative but for him to face the betrayal, the whips, the mocking, the crucifixion, and the death. There was no alternative. And I say to you, very clearly, if you're not a Christian right now, there is no alternative for you. 
other than the acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Saviour. There is no alternative. Just as there was no alternative for him to purchase your salvation, there is no alternative for you other than the acceptance of Christ as your Saviour. Just as his refusal to go through with that would have meant you are destined and damned forever. Your refusal to accept puts you in that same position. For Christ needs, must have suffered. There was no choice if he was to save you. The crucifixion is not a terrible accident. The crucifixion is not a disaster. The crucifixion is a triumph. It is a triumph of the will of Jesus Christ putting himself in our place. It is a triumph of love over despair. It is a triumph of sacrifice over sin. He set his face and went step by step up to Jerusalem to purchase your salvation. Calculating, almost coldly, deliberately is the word, deliberately putting himself in your place. Knowing full well what would happen. Because if the disciples didn't know what was going to happen and couldn't understand it, rest assured Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And was prepared to go through with it anyhow. Will you calmly, deliberately receive that gift of salvation now? If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, and even if you cannot see it and understand it, right now will you ask him for the faith to believe, to pray and ask him to grant you the faith to believe, to understand and to receive that salvation? God bless you.